You're listening to a podcast from 702. The Literature Corner. Yes, because you love books, I love books. And more than that, especially after our conversation with Lovelin last week, not so much books but words, because it's all about stories, it's all about reading, and book. the book is just one form of it. But today we have the reading corner. You can read um, whatever you want to read. It can be a poem, can be lyrics from a song, can be the phone book from a newspaper. Just read for the rest of 702 land. And I don't know whether that's a culture you ever had when you grew up. I think it's a beautiful thing uh, to have people read to you. Um, I didn't have it at home, but but... And I know I've shared this before, but, uh, you know, I, I had a wonderful teacher in high school, English teacher, Mr. Holder. And one of the things I loved about Mr. Holder is even though, and I, <laughs> I know some boys liked it because they were lazy. I actually look forward to the reading uh, classes in English, not because it meant we, would, we didn't have to do other stuff like grammar and what have you. He just had the most amazing reading voice. And occasionally we would simply sit in our desks, he would take out a novel and he would literally read for the entire class session. And I think that's how you also instill a love of storytelling stories and of reading. So give me a call and read if you're at home or maybe even at work, but you took your book with you this morning. Do people read on the Gau train, on buses, in taxis? Uh, if you have any reading material with you, uh, give us a call and just read a couple of paragraphs on 011-883-0702. The Literature Corner. One person who reads is Laura. Yes. <laughs> I must say, I'm actually on a you bit of a deadline. A I'm on a bit of a deadline. Yeah, your reading is weird, though, because... <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, reading for deadlines can be horrible because then you can't read aesthetically. Uh, I assume your deadline is for your book club. Yeah, so it, deadline, it is because I had a wonderful holiday where I intended on doing so much reading and I never got quite around to doing it. So that's why I say a deadline because mm. book clubs on Saturday and you know on your Kindle... I, I only read certain books on Kindle that I can't get hard copy. At the bottom, it says like 85%. It tells you how far you are in the book. And it's sitting on 87%. And I know some people who are probably listening are not even near there. So they have more to do than what, I do. But what, we'll finish it tonight. Whatever you do, do not yes. buy that app or whatever it is, that horrible thing. I finally clicked on it on my timeline on Facebook saying, stop seeing this ad. Mm. Repetitive. The one that sells you that um, silly cheating um, summaries of books. Oh, but we did that in high school. We don't do that now. <laughs> yeah, in high school. Yeah. In high, the study guide. No, 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 no. I also. <laughs> you know that thing that's floating around the, the the blogosphere. No, I haven't seen it, but I can imagine that it there are those. You can read four books a day. Oh no, 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 no. No, you can't. No, no, you can't. So I'm actually currently reading Andre Brink, The Chain of Voices. That oh, was the beautiful. choice for. Have Have you read it? Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, so that was the choice for for book club. I just like Andre Brink. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's very long, but it's I'm really enjoying it. So maybe we can talk about that another time. Um, what are you reading from today? So a book that really um, left an impression on me last year was Sue Niati's The Gold Diggers. Um, and perhaps it's because a lot of my friends, my partner, are not from South Africa. So the um, experiences of immigrants I've heard about, I've I've always I haven't read it. Are you it? the one who's been pestering me to read it? Someone has been proselytizing about the book. I don't know if I've been Sorry, Sue, I haven't you. read it. I haven't read it yet. I, I haven't been pestering you, but I've been pestering others. So should I read but it? But well, it's, like it's it. lovely. I think so. Um, you know, the thing with with Sue is that she puts a human face to this idea of foreign nationals and the migrants. And so why don't you invite her? You can interview her. Well, I've, if Sue's listening, we've been trying to get her for a while, but she's very busy. 
Sue, books only have a point in society if they are sold and read. And in the absence of excellent marketing from our publishers, you have to sell it yourself. Laura wants to interview you on the show. Pick up your phone. It will be good for you and it will be good for us. Yes. So, um, so yes, I'm reading from Chapter 19. Um, and, yeah, so... Every morning, Portia paraded down Pritchard Street to the offices where she worked on the corner of Market and Von Brander Street. Even though her shoes squashed her corns and made her feet swell, she bit down the pain and soldiered on. She'd practiced walking in her heels diligently in her apartment, many times before she had fallen flat on her face, leaving her son reeling with laughter. However, Portia was determined to master the art of walking in high heels like her work colleagues at Hulisani Hirsch, Klomani and Associates. They occupied the seventh floor, which they shared with some accountants and consulting engineers. Portia sat in the reception greeting clients with a sunny smile and answering telephones with practiced efficacy. She had not always been in the foreground. Instead, she had lingered in the background, cleaning toilets, making tea and sweeping the office floors. Beyond these chores, she was often sent to run the personal errands of her bosses. Advocate Hirsch loved a particular brand of Colombian coffee, which she bought at a cafe at the corner of De Corta and Juta Streets. Advocate Hulusani often sent her to pick up his dry cleaning. When lunch came, she would go and buy Advocate Chlomani his Chisanyama lunch on Commissioner Street. He thrived on the staple of pop and bride meat and never deviated from the set menu. It was for this reason that Portia had made a habit of memorizing street names, Kotza, Lovedale, Kark, Plain. She had a map of the CBD etched in her head. It was the only way she could navigate the city of Joburg without getting lost. Even if she did get lost, which she had on many occasions, if she could find a familiar street name, she would easily find her bearings. With the passage of time, Johannesburg had become less intimidating and more accommodating. Oh, love it. Yes. So the thing with, with this particular book and not giving away the plot is um, they're different voices, particularly of Zimbabweans who've come across the border legally and illegally to find work in the streets that are paved of gold that is Johannesburg. And it's their experiences. And and for me, it's just, you know, I remember last year we had a caller who said, just come to come to the Joburg CBD. He's a taxi driver. Do you remember that? I call? remember and, that. And I'll, and, I'll, and, <laughs> and I'll show you these, these, these foreign nationals and what these people are doing. And I think people have, foreign nationals get a bad rap. But what... Sue did in this book is that she gives people a human f- a face and actually they lived experiences and yeah well I've got, really two, I've got two books so mm. I'll, I had the poor Uber driver this morning I had to wait while I was picking my books to read because I had a moment like I was like mm, what do I want to pick do I want to force feed my listeners something woke do I want to pick this book yet again about homosexuality um, or do I just want beautiful and fun writing? Mm. Then I decided on the latter. And then I had to like obviously crawl through my <laughs> my books to then find something like that. Mm. So I've got two very different books stylistically, um, but they both meet that particular criteria. You ended that particular passage with um, mm. getting lost in the CBD or mm. not getting lost. Mm. Um, so I'm gonna, the first book I'm going to read from um, has a title – that that is a wonderful segue into. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't get lost in Cape Town. By Zoe Wickham, one of our best writers who lives abroad. I think she is appreciated, but maybe not enough in our country, but, but absolutely brilliant. I love Professor Wickham. 
and I had the pleasure of meeting her at least once at the Literary Awards a couple of years ago. I'm just randomly going to read from the first page. <clears throat> Unprepared reading, so don't judge me. At first, Mr. Whedon came like any white man in a motor car, inquiring about sheep or goats or servants. A vehicle-swerving meteor bright across the felt signaled a break in the school day as rows of children scuttled out to hide behind the corner, their fingers plugged into their nostrils with wonder and admiration. They examined the tracks of the car or craned their necks in turn to catch a glimpse of the visitor, even though all white men looked exactly the same, Laura. Others exploited the break to find circuitous routes to the bank of squat Ghana bushes where they emptied their bowls and bladders. On such occasions, they did not examine each other's genitals. They peered through the scant foliage to admire the shiny vehicle from a safe distance. They brushed against the bushes, competing to see, so that the shriveled little leaf balls twisted and showered into dust. From this vantage point, they would sit, pants down, for the entire visit while the visitor conducted his business from the magnificence of his car. At an early age, I discovered the advantage of curling up motionless in moments of confusion, a position which, in further education, I found to be fetal. On these topsy-turvy days, I crept at great risk of being spotted to the kitchen, which jutted out at a near 90 degrees of mud-brick wall from the school building. Under the narrow rectangular table, I lay very still. The flutter inside subsided. The instant I drew my knees up and became part of the arrangement of objects shared in the solidity of the table and the cast-iron buckets full of water lined up on it, I could depend on Mama being too absorbed by the event to notice me. Or if she did, she would not shout while the car squinted at the kitchen door. And that's the opening of You Can't Get Lost in Cape Town by Zoe Wickham, a classic. And I totally agree with this, the description of this book by the great Toni Morrison, who said of this incredible writing, seductive, brilliant, and precious, and describes Zoe as, quote, an extraordinary writer. Totally, totally agree. Okay, over to you. Read for me. Read for the rest of 702. Read for yourself aloud. Poetry, lyrics, essays, anything goes. 011-883-0702. You can also do so as a voice note on 072-702-1702. It is the Literature Corner, and it's our reading corner that we do randomly every five, six weeks or so. Literature Corner. Good morning, CS. Today I would like to read a poem by Magmanaka entitled Waiting. It goes as follows. The mouth of my soul remembers the waiting. The waiting of a promise for someone like you. The earthquakes in my heart eclipse the beauty of patience with the taste of drought. I've become a hungry garden waiting for a waterfall like you. Thank you, Isibias. Oh, thanks so much for reading that, Sipo. Much appreciated. If you want to read, you can give us a call on 011-883-0702. So I brought two books with me. The second, you know this is one of my faves. I'm going to say it again. If it was up to me, this is a book that I would teach in schools. I think it is a beautiful book that deals with so many issues. It would be quite fun to teach this book. I think any any class from grade eight 
uh, to matric and it is called what will people say a novel by rahana rousseau uh, really really absolutely brilliant book that she has written and a book that i think will age very well um i yeah i laughed while reading this book uh, it made me cry the plot was amazing the writing technique was interesting it's told from the perspective of different characters and they're all part of uh, the Faree family and for a couple of pages you see the viewpoint of one character then a couple of pages the next character a couple of pages the next one and so their stories are interwoven and they are a family that live uh, in Magnolia Court and this is um set way back a couple of decades ago and it deals with a whole bunch of issues uh, on the Cape Flats uh, and in that context from gangsterism to all sorts of other things, working class struggles and uh, related themes. I don't want to give it all away, but it really is absolutely beautiful and you don't see the ending coming. Um, but yeah, let's just say make sure you have lots of tissues ready. This time, instead of reading the first couple of pages, I'm going to randomly open in the middle of the book somewhere because this book is so good that, frankly, there's good writing on every page. <clears throat> okay, so I'm on page 67, Rahana Rousseau's brilliant uh, novel. This was her first novel. Her second one was also good, but this was the first one, What Will People Say? Neville kissed Machta and Anthony goodbye and headed to Herbert's flat in Lily Court where the watch patrol was meeting at 7 o'clock. It was getting dark. Summer was coming to an end. It was still cooking. The heat wave was holding for the girls' church camp. He was glad they were far from home. There was something he hadn't told Machta. She would have got the horris if she found out that the neighborhood watch was on the lookout for a full-on gang war. JFKs were being painted over American flags in every direction. Herbert briefed the volunteers crammed into the lounge of his ground floor flat. Nine men had come and one woman who looked strong enough to carry an ox. Everyone wore dark clothing and reflective vests. Neville listened close while Herbert outlined the situation on their block. A group of young men had been loitering on the corner of Lemon and Peach Streets where they kept a brazier going all night. They were suspected of selling mandrakes. There was a Shabin on Peach Street, open day and night. The watch had information that Ohat, who ran it, had been recruited by a general inside prison and sworn to establish the JFK's in Hanover Park. He was marking out turf, and it wouldn't be long before the Americans came to give him a clap. Neville could believe it. He had only met Ohat once in the park, but he reckoned he was befock enough to take on the biggest gang in the township. Herbert mapped out the route, his group would follow. There were six other block watchers operating in Hanover Park tonight until the sun came up at five o'clock. They would go out in groups of two and remain together at all times. Neville carefully noted the addresses of the watch houses on their block in his pocket-sized notebook. The people who lived there had working telephones and would make them available if they were needed. The Philippi police station knew they were going out on a patrol that night. They had provided the reflector vests. Neville wrote down the phone number of the police station. 
He was glad when he was paired with Herbert. The man was serious and deeply motivated by the pain of his son's murder. Herbert had a thick neck and chest like a weightlifter, like Eusebius MacKaiser. His afro added inches to his height. Neville was bung. He didn't know what he would do if the war started tonight and he was caught in the middle of it. All they had against the gangs were torches and the police station's phone number. I mean, isn't that just beautiful, Laura? And there was an interesting, I'll tell you this backstory. I think I can now tell the backstory a little bit, Rahana. This was part of her master's thesis at WITS. And the examiners couldn't decide, is this bloody brilliant deserving of a distinction because she captured the voice and the language and the register of the Cape Flats or whether it wasn't literature enough and, in fact, you know, barely should pass. And I think the book's success in the end demonstrated that that it's excellent precisely because she was authentic in keeping the voice of the characters, the way they speak, the language. And if you want to understand particularly working class struggles on the Cape Flats, what will people say by Rahana Rousseau is a compulsory read. The Literature Corner. Prince, good morning. My my favorite, favorite, favorite guy on radio. Okay. I can't uh, say my favorite listener because the other listeners are listening. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite listener with a six-pack, let me say that. I still have it, but it's gone, it's gone harder. <laughs> Go ahead. What are you reading? Like fine wine. Okay. Um, this is now, this is from the Daily World, Daily Sun of the Wednesday, 11 December 2019. So when Zosipini Tunzi was crowned. Yes. And this was a quote from former Miss World, Bokan Montejani. It reads. From the, and she was, a, she was a judge that actually made Zuzi, Zuzi. She selected, she was one of the panel that selected Zuzi. So she said, from the moment she walked into the interview room and opened her mouth, I knew. I knew she was our Miss SA, just like me. She's a girl from the village, she said. Things like these don't happen to girls like us. And now she has proven to girls around the world that black is beautiful. I often talk about the importance of representation. So I am so happy and filled with so much joy because the crowning symbolizes a new era. Oh, love it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Prince. Yes. And that is from the Daily Sun. Never let it be said that 702 is only for business day readers. The Literature Corner. And those of you who are wondering, like Laura, how on earth do you know that your listener has a six pack? That's because he curates it on Instagram for everyone to see. Okay. Hi, Eusebius. Here's uh, a piece for your literary corner. It's actually the lyrics of the song, the famous classic by Chris Christopherson, Me and Bobby McGee. It tells the story of two drifters traveling across the USA, looking for freedom and searching for love. Unfortunately, the poor dude ends up losing the girl. Me and Bobby McGee by Chris Christopherson. Busted flat in Baton Rouge, heading for the trains. I was feeling nearly faded as my jeans. Then Bobby thumbed a diesel down just before it rained. And it took us all away 
down to New Orleans. I took my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana and I was blowing sad and old Bobby was humming the blues and with a windshield wiper slapping time and Bobby clapping hands in mine we finally sang up every song that driver knew you see Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And nothing ain't worth nothing, but it's free. And feeling good was so easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. And if feeling good was good enough for me, it was good enough for me and my Bobby McGee. And from the coal mines of Kentucky to the California sun, Bobby shared the secrets of my soul. She was standing right beside me, Lord, through everything I'd done. And every night she kept me from the cold. But then somewhere near Salinas, Lord, I let her slip away, looking for a home, and I hope she'll find it. But I'd trade all my tomorrows for a single yesterday. Holding Bobby's body next to mine. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And nothing left was all she left for me. And feeling good was so easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Buddy, that was good enough for me. It was good enough for me and my baby, Bobby McGee. Thank you, Alistair. Thank you, Alistair. 